The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. We're going to read Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, Peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Okay, we're in uh, Leviticus chapter 14 now. And we've only got nine verses to do today. So, uh... It's Leviticus 14, verses 1 through 9. This is entitled, Set Free in an Open Field. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, scarlet wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he shall be clean. Okay, well, I'm looking for some verses to read you from the book of Colossians and then Hebrews. I, you know, as always, weekly, I have people attack me from the Hebrew Roots Movement about the dietary laws. And, you know, this is one of those perfect, perfect set of verses here to show how utterly ridiculous that is. Have you ever seen anybody go to the priest and have this ceremony conducted after getting over a skin disease, right? They pick and they choose one thing or another and say, we're obligated to the laws of the Lord. Well, then you ought to be doing this. If you have a boil, you need to go to the priest and be inspected. If you've got a running discharge or if you have this or that or one thing or another, you need to go to the, and they don't, right? It's hypocritical and it is bad handling. This week I had somebody attack me over the dietary laws of Israel, completely misusing scripture. And uh, I said, you know, I hope you find the grace of Christ. And until you do, please don't email me this type of stuff. And then what happened this morning? First thing, top email. As I only get to one or two emails on uh, Sunday morning. And it was the very first one. And so I responded to it again uh, with the same thing. And I said, I do hope that you find Jesus. You know, the dietary laws are done. They are set aside in Christ. We are not under that. And uh, that's, that's all there is to it. But I, I'll give you the exact point is that um, Cornelius... Uh, Peter went to Cornelius' house after having the vision about the um, sheep being dropped down, right? And all the unclean animals, and the Lord says, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And the Lord says it three times. And I cited that as an example of what the Lord was doing, was cleansing the people and saying that these are acceptable. And she said, it doesn't say that, only is for the cleansing of the people. And I said, what do you think that the people who are being cleansed have in their stomach? They're Gentiles, and they didn't go into the Jewish dietary laws and suddenly start eating kosher food for six months before the Lord purified them. The Holy Spirit came down on them that day, pork chops inside and uh, McDonald's burgers and everything else. So it's crazy. It is crazy theology. Don't get caught up if you, if you find any reason to go to another church or if you move or whatever. Be careful to stay away from the Hebrew Roots Movement. Find a church that preaches the grace of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.14, 
having wiped out the handwriting, that is the law of Moses, wiped out the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. Hebrews 7, verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, what priesthood are we under? Are we under the Levitical priesthood or the priesthood of Christ Jesus? Okay, what tribe is Jesus from? Judah, thank you. Okay, is Judah Levi? No, Levi is Levi and Judah is Judah. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. We're no longer under that law. It's been changed. Verse 18, for on the one hand, there is an annulling, means to do away with, of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. The law of Moses is weak. It's unprofitable. Verse 13 of chapter 8, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Everybody here knows that obsolete means that it's still in effect, right? Wrong. Okay. And then chapter 10, verse 9, then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, the law of Moses, taken away that he may establish the second. The law of Moses is fulfilled in Christ. It was nailed to the cross and he has established a new covenant in his blood. Thank God for the grace of Jesus Christ. When you think of the uh, movie, The Sound of Music, surely what must come to mind before anything else is the moment where Julie Andrews spreads out her arms on the open field of the mountaintop. There's a feeling of freedom when you're in an open space like that. No matter how far you stretch your arms, there is always more room to do so. The heart can feel a sense of satisfaction like no other in such a spot. David wrote about that several times, noting that the Lord delivered him and brought him out into a broad place. Although the verses today might seem curious, and we might feel a tweak of sadness as we see one bird killed and another dipped into the blood of the dead bird, we still must certainly get a feeling of relief when we read about the remaining bird being set free. I know I do. Every time that I have read that verse, I get a happy sensation. There is freedom, and there is the chance to live anew in that freedom. What a blessed little bird. But the question is, what does all of this mean? It does seem rather odd. But the Lord decided these things and all things, as we know, look forward to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So all we need to do is take things slowly and carefully, and all will be revealed. There is a leper who is healed, and there is a need for cleansing. This much we know just from a cursory reading of the verses. Our text verse today comes from 2 Corinthians 7. It's the first verse. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There is a person who is healed. There is a priest who inspects and then who performs a ritual. And then there is the cleansed person who is asked to do certain things after he is pronounced clean. Sounds like a fun study, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I was as excited as a Mexican jumping bean to get into these verses and study them as I had never done before. How politically incorrect of me to say Mexican jumping bean, but that's okay. At the end of the day, which was a very, very long day of study and contemplation, I was both tired and yet perfectly happy with the hours spent looking into what is presented here, even the part about shaving the beard. It's not something I would personally look forward to, and so I'm glad that these things are fulfilled in Christ. And unless I get the thing caught in a hammer drill again, I plan on keeping this one a long, long time. Oh, have I never told you about that? Well, I will do so, and then we will get into this marvelous set of verses. When I uh, was working out at the mall that I take care of on Siesta Key, there's a handrail that uh, needed to be replaced after about 30 years of being hit by cars and jumped on by skateboarders and all that kind of stuff. And so I decided to replace the handrail. And there's four posts. And at the bottom of each post is a square thing that the, the uh, stuff slides into. And the square thing has four holes, which means four bolts. And so you have to take and you have to drill four holes into the concrete for each base okay there are four uh poles and there's four holes each that's 16 bases and so i drilled out all of the holes and what you have to do with the hammer drills you take the hammer drill and you go zoop 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 and you go up and down up and down up and down and it pulls out the concrete as you're drilling if not then it just gets stuck in the hole right so up and down up and down and i got to uh hole number 16 the very last hole and i'm drilling 
and I got tired of my arm going up and down, up and down. And so I went to blow the stuff out instead of doing that. It caught onto my beard and it tore right off my face. In one three hundredth of a second, I had went from having a beard this long to having no beard at all. It literally tore it right off my face. And uh, so... The sermon that week shows me with mutton chops because there's it was it was as smooth as a baby's bottom too. It I thought I'm never gonna have a beard again, but then it started to come back, and uh, then about two and a half or three months later, I was at the mall again. My friend wanted to go to Anna's to have lunch, and so I met her there. And she said after lunch we were walking down to that ramp where the handrail is, and she says, "Isn't that where you got your beard pulled off?" And I said, "Yeah." And I looked in the bushes, and there it was. I picked it up, and I said, "There." So she got a photo of that. Yes. Yeah, so so the beard, that's honest truth. Yes, absolutely. So that is that is one of the things I never want to have happen again is to lose my beard, either with a razor or with a hammer drill. I'm all done with it. But having said that, there is great stuff to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have only two thoughts for you today. The first is when the leprosy is healed in the leper. That's verses one through nine. Verse one, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, despite Aaron being the high priest and having been addressed along with Moses at the beginning of the last major section, which comprised all of chapter 13, the Lord now speaks only to Moses. Unlike the last section, which dealt with identifying leprous outbreaks, this section deals with the purification rituals. They are words of law, and thus Moses, the lawgiver, receives them. This is seen in the next words, verse 2. This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. A couple things need to be seen here. First, this is referring to a person who is unclean because of leprosy, which, as we saw, is a picture of defilement from sin. He was unclean and thus was separated from the Lord's people. The leprous plagues, as we have seen, picture various types of people caught in various types of sin. Secondly, from the outset, the priest had nothing to do with the cleansing of the leper. He was unclean with leprosy, and now his condition has apparently changed. He was outside of fellowship, and now he is hopefully to be accepted into it. He had a plague which pictured sin and separation, and now he seems to be healed. This was all apart from the priest's ability to cleanse. As I explained in chapter 13, the word or, or skin, is used 99 times in the Bible, and yet 46 of them were mentioned in that one chapter, chapter 13. The or is the covering of the man. Having an affliction in the skin then was an outward sign of uncleanness. As you saw, it signified an uncleanness which pictures sin in man, a plague of death. Now the word skin is never mentioned in chapter 14. There is life and health leading to spiritual restoration. Verse 2 continues, he shall be brought to the priest. The healing precedes the inspection. The priest is not the healer, but rather the Lord is. It is the priest's job to determine if the person is actually healed and then to perform the purification rites. The Lord, in fact, healed the man, but he was then sent to the priest according to the law. Verse 3, and the priest shall go out of the camp. Verse 2 said that he was to be brought to the priest, but this only means in the sense of inspection, not in the sense of the leper's previous locality. The leper would be brought from his place of seclusion, as defined in verse 13, verse 46, to a place near the camp. It is to this place that the priest would go outside of the camp in order to meet the leper, not the other way around. Until the leper is declared clean, he is not only separate from the priest, meaning the sanctuary as well, but he has been kept from the entire assembly outside of the camp and outside of fellowship. Verse 3 continues, and the priest shall examine him. In the decided location, the priest is to inspect the leper. It is an inspection of the eye. He is to look over the person and to make his evaluation based on what he sees, as the word ra'ah implies. Verse 3 continues, and indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, the word says, vehine nirpane ga hatsa'arat min hatsarua. And behold, if be healed the plague, the leprosy from the leper. The words are excited and they're sure. The priest has looked and his eyes have beheld the work of the Lord. The word for healing here is Rafa. 
It is the word used when the Lord claimed a special title for himself in Exodus chapter 15. There he said these words, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. This is seen now. The priest has gone forth not to heal, but to determine if healing has taken place. Jehovah mm-hmm. Rapha, or the Lord who heals, is the one who accomplishes the healing. If the leper is so healed, a particular ritual is to be conducted. It is a ritual which is actually a parable being expressed through action. Actually, it's Jehovah Rapha, if you were to pronounce it properly, but the word is Rapha, or healing. Verse 4, Then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds. It must be noted that this ritual by the priest is conducted outside of the camp before the man is allowed to come in. Though healed, he is not yet cleansed. The cleansing of the once leprous person takes on two distinct parts. The first is cleansing to come into the camp. This is seen in verses 4 through 8. Only after that will he then be purified to come to the sanctuary where he will perform his own sacrifices for complete restoration. The priest now gives commands to bring shetei tziporim chayot tehorot, or two birds living and clean. However, no particular bird is described. The word for bird here, tzipor, is the basis for the name of Moses' wife, Tziporah. The tzipor is used elsewhere as a picture of those who are joined as the people of God and thus those who are in the church, be it Old Testament or New Testament. When we had the verses on in Exodus on Zipporah when he married her that was very clear she was a picture of the people of the church the 84th Psalm shows that the bird that word here at Zipporah can find a home where the Lord dwells here's what it says even the sparrow translated as sparrow here but it's the word bird has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young even your altars O Lord God of hosts my king and my God Jesus gives the same basic idea in the New Testament with this parable. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden. And it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. The use of the bird for cleansing, then, is to signify acceptance into the people of the Lord. Verse 4 continues, cedar wood. Along with two clean birds, he is to bring etz eretz, or wood cedar, The cedar is introduced into the Bible here. The word is derived from a root, which means to be firm or strong. It is the same word used to describe the cedars of Lebanon and even the cedars of God, which are recorded in Psalm 80. Thus, they are large, magnificent, firmly fixed trees. Verse 4 continues, scarlet, ushne tolaat, and scarlet of the crimson grub worm is to be brought. The implication is scarlet yarn. Two words here are used to describe the color. The first is shani, which means scarlet. The second is tola. This is actually a worm known as the crimson grub. However, it is used only in this manner concerning the color from it and cloths which are dyed with it. Taken together, they are translated as scarlet, but implying the scarlet which comes from the tola or the grub worm. The double words implies that to strike this color, the wool or the cloth was twice dipped. The scarlet or red in the Bible pictures and symbolizes war, blood, and or judgment. In this case, it is judgment, as in judgment on sin. Verse 4 continues, and hyssop. Finally, ezov or hyssop is to accompany these things. The word hyssop that we use today comes from the Hebrew through the Greek. In Greek, it is husopos, and it is a transliteration from the Hebrew word ezov. You can hear the similarity, ezov, hisopos, hisop. It's an herb native to the Middle East and elsewhere. It has antiseptic and cough-relieving and expectorant properties. Because of this, it is used as an aromatic herb and for medicine. It is brightly colored shrub with dark green leaves, and during the summer, it produces bunches of pink, blue, or more rarely, white fragrant flowers. It is contrasted to the cedar in 1 Kings chapter 4, showing its diminutive size. Here's what it says there. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, speaking of Solomon, and his songs were 1,005, and he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, 
even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. So you see the contrast between the two, the very large and the very small. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. Verse 5, And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed. And he shall command the priest and slaughter the bird, the one. As has been seen and as will be seen throughout Scripture, there is no cleansing without the shedding of blood. Likewise, there is no atonement without the shedding of blood. In order for there to be purification, something must die. In this case, one of the birds is slaughtered for the once leprous man to be cleansed. The first bird is to be slaughtered, verse 5 continues, in an earthen vessel. El keli cheretz, or to a vessel earthen. This is the only acceptable vessel for the right. It cannot be gold. It cannot be silver. It cannot be bronze. It must be an earthen vessel alone. Why? Why is the Lord telling us this? Verse 5 continues, over running water. Almaim chayim, over water living. The English translation is a bit misleading. The water wasn't running as the bird was killed. Rather, living water signifies water from a spring as it comes forth from the ground. Thus, the water in the bowl is to be living water, and into it, the blood of the bird was to drip and mix. The symbolic meaning is that the water was pure, having come up from the earth and without having gathered any impurities. Verse 6, as for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. Ancient sources, and normally I don't like to cite Jewish sources and stuff, but it's just interesting, the picture that the ancient sources make. Ancient sources state that the wings and the tail of the living bird were extended when they were dipped into there. Now think of that, okay? That's just a tradition. It's not a part of the Bible, but it kind of gives you a picture there. And then, while in this position, it was tied together lengthwise with the bundle of hyssop and the cedar wood and then dipped into the blood and water in the earthen dish. The word for dip is tabal. It means to dip or to plunge. It comes from a primitive root meaning to immerse. It is, for example, used of Naaman the Syrian who went into the Jordan seven times in order to be purified of his leprosy. Thus, it is an immersion. The entire handful of contents was dipped into the earthen vessel of living water. Verse 7, And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy. There are several traditions concerning this sprinkling. One says it was on the covering over the face of the leper. One says that it was on his forehead. And one says that it was on the back of his hand. The Bible doesn't say, and so that is completely irrelevant. All the Bible is concerned with is that he is to be sprinkled seven times. Seven, as we have seen many, many times already, is the number of spiritual perfection. The sprinkling is something that is referred to and explained in the book of Hebrews with these words. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Verse 7 continues, and shall pronounce him clean. Once the rite of sprinkling is accomplished, the leper is then pronounced clean. The word tahur signifies that which is purified. Once this is accomplished, then a marvelous rite of freedom is conducted. Verse 7 continues, And shall let the living bird loose in an open field. The living bird, which went through something that was certainly traumatic in the extreme for it, is set free in the sade, or open field. This word comes from an unused root, which means to spread out, and thus it is an open space. Verse 8, He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes. The word for wash here is kebes. It means to trample and thus to wash by stamping the feet as in the fulling process. This was the first step of his own personal preparedness for returning to life within the camp. Verse 8 continues, shave off all his hair. The next step is to shave off all his hair. Hair in the Bible, as we have seen many times, signifies awareness, but especially an awareness of sin. Every bit of his hair is to be shaven and this is given in greater detail in verse 9. After this, verse 8 continues, and wash himself in water. A bath for the body is in order. Verse 8 continues, that he may be clean. Vetahar, and pure. 
Each step is in preparation for the one-verse moment of rejoining the people of God. He is to do these things, and then, verse 8 continues, after that he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. The reason for this is not stated, but it seems obvious that it was to keep him from any type of defilement which could occur and thus interrupt his own purification process. Verse 9, but on the seventh day he shall shave all the hair. On the seventh day, after a week in his purification, the person is to shave again. This time it is defined first as all the hair, verse 9 continuing, off his head. The word for head is rosh. It comes from a root meaning to shake, as the head is that part of the body which is most easily shaken. Verse 9 continues, and his beard. As we saw in the previous chapter, the zakan or beard comes from the verb zakain, which means to be or become old. And so it can be translated as old man. Keep your commentaries to yourself. <laughs> Verse 9 continues, and his eyebrows. The gav or eyebrow is introduced here, and this is the only time that it is used to describe the brow of the eye. It simply means rim. It comes from a root, which means to hollow or to curve. Thus, it is the curve of the eyes. As this is the only instance where it is used to speak of the brow of the eye, it is actually the eyes which are the subject here. One doesn't actually shave their eye, but they will shave the brow of the eye. Verse 9 continues, all his hair he shall shave off. Again, hair indicates an awareness, specifically that of sin. All of the evident hair is to be shaven. Verse 9 continues. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water. After the shaving, the clothes and the body are washed. And then verse 9 finishes with, A man plagued with leprosy is now clean. He is not yet through with the requirements he's expected to deal with, but he is now considered fully accepted into the community, and he can now proceed to the sanctuary as any other Israelite could do. Healed from leprosy, clean and pure, I am ready to enter into a new life with my Lord. I have been cleansed, and that is sure, no longer alienated, so says the word. Freed from sin, I am whole once again, cleansed by God and granted new life in my Lord. I have been justified and sanctified among the sons of men, cleansed by the washing of water through the word. It is all by the grace of God that this has come about. I am free from what once confined me. Through the death of another, I am purified, no doubt. Thank God for Christ Jesus, who has set me free. Now, wasn't that a wonderful sermon? We can all go home knowing that it was a really wonderful sermon. Actually, I have two parts. I told you that. The second part is pictures of Christ. Here we have a passage which seems so odd and so obscure to our modern senses that it is actually completely foreign to anything we would consider as necessary after getting over a skin disease. But if we just remember what those skin diseases pictured in the previous chapter, then we can again look at these verses and know that what we are being given here is more and more pictures, all pictures of Christ. If the leprosy was a picture of sin and death, then this must be picturing purification from that. First, we need to remember that the healing of the leprosy comes from the Lord. It did not come from a doctor or a priest. As the priest is the mediator for the people on behalf of God, and as our true mediator is Christ, then we can make the obvious connection that the Lord is filling several roles at once. Thus, this means that what is happening here is a process which, even though it is occurring in a set order in the book of Leviticus, actually may have many aspects occurring simultaneously. Just as when a person believes in Jesus Christ, they are saved, they are justified, they are sanctified, and they are sealed with the Holy Spirit all at one time. So it is with what is occurring in these verses. A process is taking place which pictures another process in us, one that occurs instantaneously. It needs to be noted that the killing of the live bird here does not actually denote a true sacrifice. That's going to be detailed in the following verses which are coming up next week. However, at the same time, it pictures the same things as a true sacrifice. And so in this case, there is a representation of the state in which the leper had legally been, and it signifies what would have happened to him if there was no remedy for his affliction to be found. But a cure was found, and as I said, it is represented by the same things which mark a true sacrifice under the law. There is the truth that one takes the place of another, and this will become evident as we go on. The person who has the leprous plague is healed. The person who is plagued with sin is healed. It is the Lord who heals. 
This is the person who comes to Christ by faith in his finished work. The priest, Christ, examines him, and indeed the Lord has healed him. Christ is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Now, or I should say Jehovah Rofecha, if I pronounced it properly or in the, the right structure. But this right here blows away the arguments of people like you mentioned earlier when you opened us today, people like the Jehovah's Witnesses that deny the deity of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, who does the healing of lepers? Jesus. Okay? Only the Lord can heal a leper in the Old Testament. Every name of the Lord, Jehovah Makadesh, or um, the Lord, the Holy One, is Jesus in the New Testament. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner, is Jesus in the New Testament. Jehovah Rofecha, the Lord who heals, is the Lord in the New Testament. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who grants us peace. What does Jesus say? My peace I give to you, right? He is the Lord of peace. Jehovah Tzikenu, the Lord our righteousness, right? Jesus is our righteousness. Everything that is given in the Old Testament, every single title, every single name is Jesus. I am the Lord and there is no other. My glory I shall not give to another. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Everything that is ascribed to Jehovah in the Old Testament is ascribed to Jesus Christ in the New. Do not make the mistake in your theology that there are lesser gods. There is one God, the Father, and a lesser God, Jesus. They are the same God. It is a different revelation of himself. Just as time has future, past, and present, or future, present, and past, right? The Lord is the Father he is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit, and we're seeing a different aspect of what He is doing in redemptive history for us. Time is one thing, but it has three aspects, and they are all equal. They are all co-equal. They always existed, and they always will exist. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Don't make this mistake in your theology, all right? The Lord is the one who heals. The malady of the skin, which was seen 46 times in the previous chapter, is no longer mentioned. There is life, there is health, signifying spiritual renewal. We are told that the priest went outside the camp to meet the leper, the sinner, and all of the rites of purification by the priest are done outside the camp. Guess what? Jesus Christ left heaven, the camp of God, in order to meet with sinners. He assumed a human nature and came forth from his father, going in the world to save them. Likewise, in Hebrews 13, verse 11, it says that Christ suffered outside the camp, meaning Jerusalem, in order to sanctify the people with his own blood. We're seeing a picture of Christ leaving heaven and even leaving Jerusalem in order to bring us purification. It is there that the priest meets with the one who is to be cleansed of leprosy. It is there where Christ meets with the one who needs to be purified from sin. Such is the Lord who is ready to meet with sinners. There, in his still-defiled state, the leper and the sinner are inspected. As the priest inspects the leper, Christ so reads the hearts and the minds of those who call out to him. And so, there, at the inspection, it says, And behold, if be healed the plague, the leprosy from the leper, that is equated directly to the words, And behold, he is cured from his sin. He is believed in Christ, Christ has inspected, and Christ has determined. In acknowledgement of the clean state, a ritual is now conducted which pictures the work of Christ, and it is a work of Christ which is now realized in the believer. As I said, though, these are done in an order in the book of Leviticus. They are symbolic of that which happens once, instantaneously, in the believer. Two living birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop are brought at the priest's command. The two living birds both picture Christ. The cedar wood pictures Christ, and the hyssop pictures Christ. Thank you. Somebody got it right. The pictures, however, like all such things, picture Christ on behalf of his people, and thus it is a process which includes those in Christ. As I said, the bird elsewhere in the Bible symbolizes those who are joined to the people of God. Two birds are described as living and clean. It's an obvious picture of Christ who alone is without sin. He is life and he is purity. Why are there two birds? Well, we're going to see that as we progress. Along with the two birds is etz eretz, or wood cedar. The wood signifies firm or strong. What is occurring in this rite is something permanent. 
It carries the strength of the process. It is symbolic of Christ who is the strength of God for salvation. As Paul says in Romans chapter 5, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's the cedar wood right there. The Shnei Tola'at, or scarlet of the crimson grub worm, pictures Christ who is described by the same word, Tola in the 22nd Psalm, which is a psalm about the cross of Jesus Christ. It says there, but I am a worm, a Tola, and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. As we have seen throughout Exodus, the scarlet color signifies judgment. In this case, it is judgment on sin. This is what happened at the cross of Christ. And this is what the scarlet signifies here. A description of this crimson dye, which is obtained from the Tola, is given to us by Henry Morris. I read this to you during the book on Jonah. I'm reading it to you now because it still applies and you may have forgotten that. When the female of the scarlet worm species was ready to give birth to her young, she would attach her body to the trunk of a tree, fixing herself so firmly and permanently that she would never leave again. The eggs deposited beneath her were thus protected until the larvae were hatched and able to enter their own life cycle. As the mother died, the crimson fluid stained her body and the surrounding wood. From the dead bodies of such female scarlet worms, which Jesus is called on the cross in the 22nd Psalm, the commercial scarlet dyes of antiquity were extracted. What a picture this gives of Christ dying on the tree, shedding his precious blood that he might bring many sons to glory. He died for us that we might live through him. The hyssop, as I noted earlier, was contrasted to the cedar by Solomon to show its humble size in nature. Where cedar denoted firmness and strength, the hyssop denotes humility. Other than the one instance given by Solomon, it is always used in the Bible in conjunction with purification. Paul shows us how this humble plant used in purification looks forward to our Lord Jesus. He says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. After calling for these things, each of which pictures Christ, it says that the priest was to kill the first bird over living water in an earthen vessel. The earthen vessel and the living water both picture Christ. He came in the likeness of a man, man whom Paul describes as an earthen vessel. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, describing human beings, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. As I said earlier, only an earthen vessel would suffice for this purification. The reason is that only Christ's incarnation, coming as a man in an earthen vessel, could purify the lost sinner. And that right there blows away the Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. They say that Mary was born without sin and she was kept from sin all her life and she was raised at the Annunciation or whatever they call it without sin. That is absolute heresy because only an earthen vessel can take away sin. God cannot arbitrarily keep somebody from sin. He cannot arbitrarily take away sin. Unless Christ came as a man, God could not forgive the sins of humanity. He would violate his own righteousness in doing so. He would violate his own perfect nature in forgiving man without taking out the wrath on another. This is the doctrine of substitution, and only an earthen vessel could do it, and only Jesus filled that role as the earthen vessel. The doctrine of immaculate conception found in the Catholic Church is absolute heresy. The living water which is in that earthen vessel is described by Christ himself as that which flows from him. It is he who is the pure and undefiled water that is pictured here. He said in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The slaughtering of the first bird over the earthen jar and then mingling its blood into the living water symbolizes Christ's death. It is this act which allows the fountain of purification and cleansing from sin. Once that is accomplished, then the other bird is immersed into the mixture along with the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop. It is a symbolic picture of the burial of Jesus Christ. 
His strength, his judgment on sin, and his humility in coming as a human being were all buried. But that isn't the end of the story. It is this mixture which is then sprinkled seven times on the one who is to be cleansed. The mixture of the blood of the bird and the living water, along with the cedar, the scarlet, and the hyssop, is seen in John's words of his first epistle. He says this, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. Seven is the number of spiritual perfection. And so the sevenfold sprinkling is symbolic of the perfect sprinkling of the sevenfold spirit of the Lord, which is cited in Isaiah chapter 11. Here's what it says there. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This spirit of the Lord, which rests upon Christ, is sprinkled on all who believe. It is the sealing of the spirit, which Paul mentions in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. When you believe, you receive. Once the person is so sprinkled, he is then pronounced clean. He is considered purified by this act. And so it is with the spirit. Paul, writing to those in Rome, tells them what they once were and what they now are in Christ. It is a perfect picture of the defiled person of chapter 13 and the now cleansed person in chapter 14. Here's what it says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. It's all pictured in this ritual we're looking at right here in Leviticus. The Spirit sanctifies the believer just as the water and blood mixture was sprinkled on the leper in order to cleanse him. And after that, it says that the living bird is to be loosed in an open field. It is typical of the resurrection of Christ. The bird had been immersed into death and it was raised out of it. That's why we get baptized, just to say, I'm making a public profession of what Christ did for me. I died with Christ, and I'm being put under the water, and I was raised to new life by Christ, and so they bring you out of the water, hopefully. That death is what purified the sinner, and the resurrection is what justified him. Paul explains it to us in Romans chapter 4 with these words. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us, he's speaking about King David in the Old Testament. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Burial, resurrection. As I said, these things are all typical of Christ. But what Christ did is then applied to all who are in Christ. The leper has gone from his place of confinement because of being uncleaned to a place of freedom because of his cleansing. The bird, too, was confined, but then it was released into an open field. But it was released still covered in the water-blood mixture. It is typical of Christ who was confined in the pit for judgment on our sin, but who was released and who now fills the heavens. It is also now emblematic of the sinner who was trapped in sin and destined for the narrow confines of hell, but who has been brought out to the open expanses of heaven. He is covered in the work of Christ, the water of life, and the blood of atonement. Because of Christ, so it is also of the justified, purified, and sanctified sinner. The believer is immersed with Christ in his death, and the sins which he bore die with him. In his resurrection, man stands justified before God, just as Paul said in Romans 4.25. After these things, the person was told to wash his clothes. It is the first active thing that he is instructed to do. As I said, the word implies to wash by trampling. It is symbolic of purifying one's life through trampling out the sin in their lives. Jude's words, which speak of the garments defiled by the flesh, explain the symbolism. I gave them to you last week. In coming to Christ, we are to trample out the defilement of our previous lives. It then next says that the cleansed leper is to shave off all of his hair. It is symbolic of removing anything which reminds us of sin. We are to remove any awareness of sin from our lives and so bring on an awareness and knowledge of God. Paul explains it with these words, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. 
for some do not have the knowledge of God. After this comes the washing of the body. It is symbolic of purifying oneself after having the knowledge of God. This is explained in the New Testament with these words. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You see, everything is pointing to Christ and what he has done for us and our life in Christ. That's why we come to church is to learn these things and to learn what we are to do in order to purify ourselves because he has purified us. After these things have been done, the cleansed leper can then enter the camp. He is joined to the people of God and he is no longer an unclean outsider. But it then notes that he is not to go into his tent for seven days. It is not until the eighth day that another process needs to be conducted. This is to be considered the time when sinners are cleansed by the Lord, but they need to not get distracted by the things of the world. There needs to be a time of being among the people of God and separate from anything distracting, thus causing them to be defiled again. As I said, many of these things occur simultaneously in the believer, but the verses ahead, which we will look at next week, go through an elaborate process of offerings which are to be presented to the Lord. Like all of those previous offerings that we looked at for about 20 sermons, they will all point to the work of Christ, just as those did, so these two next week will. After they are complete in verse 20, it will say, And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. He's already been declared clean, and yet there is still the need for atonement, something provided through the work of Christ in order to be considered clean. Each step is a necessary part of the process from being a defiled sinner to a cleansed member of the congregation. These Old Testament types and shadows, which really took place in Israel, typify marvelous spiritual truths which occur in each person who is brought into the church today. It all points to the finished work of Jesus Christ, but each step is a process which is accomplished in the believer because of faith in what he has already done. The last thing that we saw in our nine verses today was basically an expansion of verse eight. On the seventh day, the cleansed leper was to shave off all the hair on his head, his eyebrows, and his beard. As we have seen, hair indicates an awareness of sin. He is to again purge himself of any new hair, thus any new awareness of sin. This is to be done before the sacrifice of his atonement, which is made down at the altar. I detailed these three body parts for you, but I will remind you of them now, showing why the Lord specifically named them in verse 9. First was the rosh, or head. It comes from a root meaning to shake, as the head is the part of the body which is most easily shaken. It speaks of the attitude that the believer is to have, removing sin and holding fast to Christ, even through afflictions. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Here it is that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know. We are to remain firm and fixed in Christ and not to have our faith shaken by what occurs around us. Next is the zakan or the beard, which comes from the verb zakane, meaning to be or become old. And so it can be translated as old man. Paul tells us to leave behind the old man in Ephesians chapter four. Here's what he says. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off Concerning your former conduct, the old man, put off the old man, which grows corrupt, adding to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And then there are the eyebrows. As I noted, this is the only instance where the word is used to speak of the brow of the eye. It is actually the eyes which are the subject here. One doesn't shave their eye, but they will shave the brow of their eye. Paul shows us how this precept is to be applied to our lives. It's from Ephesians chapter 1. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavens places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come you can see everything is pointing to what went on in this ritual everything is all pointing to christ each of these is a positive precept from paul do this do this do this just as they are positive precepts for the healed leper in the old testament Don't be shaken, put off the old man, and have the eyes of your understanding enlightened. This is what we're asked to do. In the end, the healed leper is me, and it is you. It is any person who has come to God and been cleansed by the work of Christ. A New Testament example of this is found actually, as I said earlier, in the book of Matthew. It says, when he, speaking of Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord... If you are willing, you can make me clean. Who is it that heals in the Old Testament? The Lord Jehovah, right? Jehovah Rophecha. And Jesus is healing a leper. The person even understood that right there. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. But go your way, show yourself to the priest exactly what we're looking at in these verses now, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. As you can see, there's the leper, there is the Lord Jesus Christ who heals, and who alone can heal, and then, only then, is the person instructed to go to the priest. Although this passage that we've looked at today is not the offering that the leper is to offer, this rite had to be accomplished first as an acknowledgement that the Lord had accomplished this cleansing on his behalf. Only after that will the leper then make his offering. The priest was to see and avow that the Lord, the Lord had healed. But the priest was only a picture of the Lord as well. He's the mediator between God and man. And so it is the Lord who heals. It is the Lord who accepts that healing. In the end, it is all about the work of the Lord. It is he who frees us from our sin. Instead of the confining pit of hell, we have been granted the wide open spaces of heaven's vast expanse. It was a gift for us and is a gift to anyone who will simply reach out and receive it. If you've never been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ and his atoning death, please make today the day. You are a leper You are headed on a one-way path to destruction, but through him you will be pure, you will be a spotless child of God on the way to a place of glorious, glorious wonder and delight. Be wise, be discerning, call on Christ today, okay? It's very simple. All you need to do is say, I have sin in my life. I can't cleanse it on my own. I understand that and I want Jesus to heal me. Jesus, I give you my sin. I accept your payment on my behalf. I understand that you died on the cross to take away my sin. You went into the grave pictured by the one bird being plunged into the other's blood, but you rose again, signifying to us that you are the Lord who can do all of these things. You justify us. You free us from our sin guilt. And I would ask that you would make that commitment today. Time is short, folks. We have no idea when we're going to die or when the Lord is going to come. But one way or another, you know, I watch... Every single night I watch um, something on TV while we're eating dinner. And a lot of times I might get a couple extra minutes to watch Star Trek too. But lately I've been watching a series on video, which is uh, World War II. Um, It's called Victory at Sea. It's a very long uh, thing. And I'm looking at it. And, you know, you see little children out there in Italy. And they're all shouting when the Allies freed them. And they've got food again. And I think that almost every one of those little children and those things are either very old or they're dead by now, right? Time is passing. And you look at all of the people that were fighting in that war with a very few exceptions now are gone. We're losing, or we had been for years, losing over a thousand veterans a day. Well, they're all going and pretty soon there won't be one veteran of World War II left. And you look at the movie and you think, well, there they are. Time is moving. We don't know when we are going to die. We don't know when our last breath is. And there is a certain 
point in history when Jesus Christ is going to come, regardless of whether we're alive or dead. And if you're not ready for that, you are going to be left behind. But there's one thing that is absolutely certain apart from the rapture of Jesus, and that is death. And we're all going to face God when we meet that point. And it can either be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, or it will be on our own merits, and we will be cast into the confining pits of hell. So make the choice today, please. I have a closing verse for you from Titus chapter 2. Titus is one of the three pastoral epistles. There are three of them, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. They give us instruction on how to run a church, but they also give us some really marvelous words when he gives an exhortation or a, or a, maybe a, a benediction to Timothy or Titus. Here's what he says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the trampling out of our garments, right? And that's a shaving away of the hair. We want to live godly in this age. So um, it goes on, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works right we we have a responsibility christ has done his part he asks us to do our part now and if we don't the only one who's going to suffer when we stand before him at the bema seat judgment is us all the rewards we could have had man it's so easy to just stay home and and watch football it's so easy to you know get caught off on all kinds of tangents in life but the lord expects us to cleanse ourselves to trample out the sin in our lives and when we fail which we all do lord i'm sorry i confess and he's gonna he's faithful and just he'll forgive you right but if you don't you're the only one that's going to suffer next week is leviticus 14 10 through 32 something required for every ma'am and every gent it's entitled purified from all defilement that'll be our 23rd leviticus sermon And as I say each week, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and he can purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Quick poem and we're done. Set free in an open field. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the words he was then relaying. This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. Yes, on that day. He shall be brought to the priest, as to you I now say. And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, no longer is his future leprosy filled and grim. Then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop, according to these words. And the priest shall command that the one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water, according to these words. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop too, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. So shall he do. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall set the living bird loose in the field. So shall it be. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, that he may be clean. After that he shall come into the camp, and shall stay outside his tent seven days, so it shall be seen. But on the seventh day he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows, so this shall be seen. All his hair he shall shave off, he shall wash his clothes, and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean." Lord God Almighty, how marvelous is the story of what Christ has done for lepers like us. We have gone from defilement unto glory, all because of the wonderful work of Jesus. How can it be that you would care for fallen man, stepping out of eternity to walk with us? Wondrous are your ways. Glorious is your plan. Thank you, O God, for the wonderful work of Jesus. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful passage How many times have I read it in my life and not seen all that was in there? And then to study each word and to see that, in fact, each word, an earthen vessel, who would think? It trample out the clothes, who would think? The shaking of the head. Lord, all of these things point to something that you have done for us or that we are to do in exchange for our sins after you have cleansed us in return to you. And so help us to do that. Help us to be obedient to your word, to apply these precepts to our lives 
to uh, not be easily shaken in affliction, which is something that so many people face in this world. We have people all over the place that are suffering in affliction. And instead of holding fast, they're shaken. Why is this happening to me? Lord, what have you done? It's, it's something that we need to stand fast on you. And we need to say, Lord, despite what you have done, I will stand fast. I will keep my faith in you and I will not be shaken. Help us in this. It's hard, Lord. And without you to guide us and without being in your word, it's so hard. Forgive us when we do fail because all of us do. And help us to just keep our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus and to know that you are with us always. Always. Lord God, we thank you for this. We love you and we praise you and we exalt you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen.